Mono Neon Show, it's Max, and I'm with Stephen Coles from the Letterform Archive. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Uh, so, Stephen, what, what exactly is the, the Letterform Archive for all of our listeners that are not really aware of what's going on? We are, it is uh, sometimes difficult to explain because we're kind of a unique organization. We're kind of a cross between a special collections library and a museum. Um, what we do is try to bring access to artifacts of graphic design with a focus on typography and lettering and calligraphy. So the kind of stuff that you would normally see um, in a textbook for a graphic design class or uh, in a, you know, on, a, on the web when they're talking about uh, historical objects of early printing or uh, typography. Uh, those things are the things that we try to let you see and actually hold and touch and get a sense of their materiality uh, in person. So that's why we exist, is to, to collect and preserve and to share that kind of work. And it's a really interesting mix. Like, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, like, okay, this is a Neon podcast, but the reason why I had you on is because of, I guess, just the impact. You know, you've got a mixture of photographers and, and librarians and collectors and all these assistants that basically, you know, the play between staff, you know, working towards preserving letter arts, you know, commercial neon, especially in its heyday, always had some sort of, I guess, fascination with type. And what do you think, you know, how, how do you think of neon, I guess, where you guys are? There's quite a bit of neon, I take it. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, does the collection sort of uh, just only purely focus on the typefaces itself or does it have like other elements to it? Well, we have our connection to to neon uh, well we have many different connections one is just a historical origin of different kinds of letter forms and how those influence uh, signs including neon signs but also we have a really nice reference library so um you know what you'd expect to see if you went to a library that had a really nice collection of just graphic design and typography and, and sign making material. So when the Neon Speaks conference uh, happened uh, earlier this year in San Francisco, we had a, a special tour where uh, we set the table full of um, books that are, you know, kind of catalogs and, and collections of, of neon signs. Um, and then some artifacts from neon sign companies. So for one instance, one of our favorite things here is a, a set of photographs and marketing material from a German uh, sign company in the 20s or 30s. And it just really beautifully reproduced uh, photography of pretty simple neon signs, but because uh, they're really early in history, they have this amazing uh, uh, historical value. And they're also just uh, really beautiful photographs. So that was one thing that we showed that the, the, the conference uh, attendees are really excited about. But the other thing is just the history of lettering itself and what kinds of letter forms lend themselves well to neon. Um, and then, you know, what are the crossovers between sign painting and uh, 
show card writing and uh, all those other levering skills and, and neon, uh, which uh, there's some things that are just wholly unique to neon and there are other things that really have a lot of connections to those other arts. Yeah, neon has a, uh, even with that's, you know, like different parts of tubing and this tangled sort of wired aspect of what happens, the transformers, and even with the unearthly glow that goes on, a lot of people, th I think of it as like a type of urban poetry. So mm -hmm. it, it spans, and you had mentioned this too, like even going back to, to prior decades, spanning time across different, you know, cultures. And what do you think has kept, I guess it's so vibrant today as, as we all kind of have seen, you know, it's kind of slowly emerged over the years uh, since it was discovered. Do you feel like there's, do you feel like type kind of adds that characteristic set because I've even heard people that like, for instance, certain movies will reference certain periods of time and they'll go to commercial sign makers and say, Hey, can you have this particular piece made? Or like a local business will like have the, you know, the DNA of a particular time period in their brand and, and will request that. Uh, do you think that that's kind of adds to some of the, the timeliness of neon? Yeah. I also think, just overall in the world of typography and lettering, there is this shift in the last 10 or 15 years towards uh, things that are handmade or that can be completely unique to a specific uh, building or place or uh, business. And, you know, that's also kind of led to the resurgence of, of sign painting as well. And I think you know, there's, it's kind of a, a pushback or a counteraction to digitization and the computer and uh, the need to, to have something that feels more connected uh, to, to humans. Um, and I think even, even though neon is this technology and this, this substance, this physical object, it also has a really human connection. Um, just as sign painting or custom lettering has. And so I think that's one thing that's, that's kept it alive and actually, at, at least from my vantage point here in the Bay Area, really brought it back um, either through restorations or through uh, new signs being made. Uh, we have a, at least two or three really active uh, neon sign vendors here in the, in the Bay Area and, and probably more to come just given how much activity there is around it right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great uh, shops. I mean, specifically, like you mentioned, where a uh, whole neon medium is characterized by kind of a typographical failure. I, I don't want I don't to call it a failure, but it's this, you can't compromise with it too much. <laughs> first, mm -hmm. I mean, you may or may not know, but the first fact that discrete letter forms are, are not very practical solutions through mm -hmm. bending glass. So uh, anyone listening who does bend glass obviously knows, you know, someone will come in with a, a really fancy type and <laughs> can they, they come to you and might say, can you make it this size? And at first, you know, it's not something that is easily, you know, laughable because you obviously know this person doesn't really understand the medium. So it's up to us to, you know, class makers and sign makers to say, Hey, this isn't generally what's possible. I think, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it's generally more economical and efficient to make an entire word out of a single glass tube. And that's why I think the workshops, at least from my perspective, are so important because in sections of up to eight feet long, when you really look at the individual pieces of how a sign is made, then you start to understand and break it down, sort of the physicality of what the glass is capable of. You have a much more, I guess you could say, appreciation, A, but also you start to want, you start to kind of realize, okay, 
uh, out of all the things you could be doing, there's different diameters of glass you start to pick up on. And so what's unique is that, yeah, there is a lot that can be done. And I've heard people, even certain uh, sign vendors say, you know, my job is to, to get, you know, the particular design and then see if I can challenge myself to get it done. Some people will obviously take yep. that much further than others. No matter what the request is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I, 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 that's a good, uh, it's a totally a good point. I mean, it, I think what, what I was getting at is this difference between typography and lettering. And that is typography is the use of typefaces, which are pre-made letter forms that you, you're really just rearranging their order that the, the forms themselves are already designed. Uh, it's like working with Lego. You, you're just re you know, you're building something with, with blocks that are already uh, created. Whereas lettering is um, you're taking an idea and you're drawing or you're making those letters from scratch for that particular use. And so for neon, you know, rather than start with something that's already designed with typeface, uh, it's much better to, to do something that really works uh, well for that medium and that's inherent to that, to, to what works with a, a connected piece of glass. Uh, and I think that's probably something that you, conversations you have with your, your customers uh, all the time. I mean, they may be working with a pre-made logo or design already, but uh, the, the best thing that you can do is create something unique that is really suitable for the medium uh, from, from the beginning. Absolutely. And I think so too, is so while the glass obviously, uh, you know, requires continuity, the, these conversations don't, you know, they don't stop either too, is, is like, you know, approximation between certain letter types where they would normally work and they would start to bleed in each other. So for if like an outdoor sign or something in the window, you want legibility to be a top concern. Whereas like with uh, maybe like an artistic piece for a gallery or uh, something that has a little bit more uh, freedom, you know, doesn't hold to those constraints too. So that also adds, you know, much uh, more available space to work out of. But, you know, the glow of the light, you know, that bleeding effect that we all know and love about neon requires uh, separation. Mm -hmm. So the solution to this is, uh, you know, blockout paint where, a neon artist will take uh, you know the, the tube and connecting sections and uh, paint out portions of the glass, which so that the letters appear discrete. So legibility is achieved by simply painting out parts of these letters, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is a whole different right. We're, they're working in reverse on a table, and then mm -hmm. also having to come and also paint on top of that, even to make it a, a, you know an even understandable legible piece of type. So there's a lot of care and consideration that goes on. I think when you work from a typeset, you know, with a collection like yours, um, you know, would you agree that computers have helped usher in at least the letter space for science to be able to be, there's so many different types out there. Like how do you consider which ones for the collection or, you know, what's the basis for, mm -hmm. for that? Well, one thing that's been interesting in the last, you know, I, I'm talking about this, this period of the, of the computer taking over how, how designs are made. Uh, is that everybody now is a typesetter. Everybody understands what fonts are. I mean, you go back 25 years and nobody really worked with fonts unless they had a Selectric typewriter where they could switch out the fonts or um, they were actually working in the printing industry. That was not even a term that anybody really understood other than how big is it or is it a, a type that looks like a newspaper type or is it a type that looks like my you know, what's on the television screen. Uh, 
But now, because of the computer, everybody is familiar with, with fonts. And that means there's this explosion of uh, awareness, and then there's an explosion of new people making typefaces. So this all leads to this, this, this huge awareness and interest uh, in industries that are beyond just design. And that's been, you know, what's been able to broaden our audience who comes to the archive. It's, it's not just people who make letters or use them in design, but it's people who are just familiar with it now because everybody uses type every day. Uh, and so one of our goals here is to just help uh, people come into that world, like welcome them into this pretty diverse and interesting world. And you're right that there, the computer has expanded uh, the interest in type in general, and that has, I think, also probably you know, leaked into all of the other, you know, fields of, of sign making and um, and logo design, and it's allowed these uh, customers to be much more, um, you know, sophisticated about what they're requesting and what, what they uh, think is smart for their business. I think that, you know, what do you, what do you think the biggest piece of advice for anyone wanting to put type in their sign or even, you know, think about type, like, what do you think, or are there any like common mistakes that you think designers might make when incorporating type that you, that you think the collection could help them with? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, um, well, I think looking at what's been, you know, as I said before, it's always best to, to, you know, think about what the limitations and the advantages of this medium of neon are and to look at uh, previous examples. Um, we have a really interesting book that actually shows you the schematics of how the, the tubes were actually bent for each sign. So you're not just looking at what's lit, uh, you know, with a photograph, you usually just see what's you know in front of you, what's in front of the tin can or whatever is uh, visible from the street, but it, it actually shows you the um, the, the full uh, glass behind it and, and how it's constructed. And I think, uh, you know, getting more of an understanding of uh, how neon is bent can help a lot. Um, I also think that, you know, rather than try to replicate something that's already been designed uh, in neon, think about, you know, what can we do uh, that really suits the medium well? Uh, and you know, maybe it's not, you probably run into this all the time, but maybe it's not actually replicating letter forms, but it's um, doing some other kind of uh, ornamentation or, or call to attention to a business that might be just as interesting as, as just replicating the name. Uh, mm -hmm. Because sometimes people already have their logo designed, you know, and, that, and so if they're just putting their, their logo in neon, maybe that's not going to work as well as, Maybe there's another part of the, the storefront or, or the interior that would look better, you know, you know, a word or a style that would look better in neon than just replicating our logo or our, um, you know, our existing sign. Mm -hmm. And I think the struggles of like shrugging off, I guess you'd say the history of some of the neon that we do know so well, you know, it's like uh, the architectural features, even as mediocre as they might be, could be that subtle shift between you know, something lacking the exuberance that you would normally find, you know, uh, and like maybe something that's, you know, uniquely theirs, you know, for instance, like a store or a drop ceiling or like the top of a certain portion of the counter space. I mean, it really can serve as 
programmatic purpose other than just to look at. It could be spectacular to like take pictures of on Instagram and uh, maybe it factors in some of the associations of the business, maybe just uh, playing on part of the predominance of a particular, uh, you know, nightclub spot or something like that. But I think that there, there are liberal means like the willingness to want to experiment, especially when it comes to neon. And I've seen a lot of, especially towards the, the newer artists, they're not, you know, they're not afraid to try uh, and roll new ideas. And, and whether it's, you know, the glass is fragile or not, it's, it's not easy to ship or it's not as commonly known to be able to do something. I think taking those quirks and kind of methods and uh, extracting, you know, even if it is just, you know, maybe a particular font that's difficult, but, you know, other ways to farm out these ideas because it's a serious craft, but, you know, a lot of people s still just need some sort of entertainment or, you know, because like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily going to work for everybody just to have uh, your logo, even if you're trying to make a brand statement, it's always good to have. But I think, uh, you know, it, it might, it might make uh, something else more achievable, uh, even like you said, towards training, towards a certain uh, type of bend, or you know, um, maybe you only have a certain type of glass. So you have to kind of look at it from this one type of uh, design perspective, um, you know. And it could give give more ideas, uh, mm -hmm. especially that. another. Yeah, and another way to look at it is what uh, one of the things we do is research visits where. Um, you don't have to be a serious researcher or an academic to to um, to schedule one, but all it means is that you come looking for a specific um, kind of design or period or style or even an, a specific topic, and you you send us a request and then you come in and we'll have set a table full of things that are um, related to that theme and one of the ways that people can look at it is, all right, I, I'm in a specific building. It has its own history or style. You know, maybe it's an Art Deco building or it's uh, mid-century um, or it's older than that, but it has its own spirit to it. Uh, so, you know, rather than trying to, to, to force it into whatever my brand is of my business, maybe we should respect the uh, character of the space. And so you could come in and say, you know, I'm looking for, you know, designs of the 1920s and 30s and what kinds of letter forms are common then, what kinds of um, you know, facades on buildings or decoration were common. And, and then you can, you know, get a lot of nice reference that you can bring to uh, a sign vendor or a sign vendor could use as, uh, as its influence for the design so that it really just fits in with the character of the building itself. That's a really cool way to do it too. I, I didn't realize you could have sort of uh, someone at your side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things we do here that's so different is a lot of places that are that have the kinds of collections that we have, say a, a, a Gutenberg leaf or um, a cuneiform tablet, we have these really incredible collections. But in most places, what you would do is fill out a card and say, these are the exact books that I'm looking for. Uh, and then you hand it to the librarian and they go and get those three or four books. They bring them to you. Um, what we try to do is really respond to the way that most designers actually work, which is very intuitively and, and very uh, much based on what they see, their visual um, intuition. And so that's why, you know, designers use websites like that create mood boards or um, that are, you know, much more visual kinds of bookmarks. 
because they work visually. So what we do is we start with whatever your initial request is, but we really work side by side with you and bring things that um, will help you see things you may not have thought we had, or you may not have known what to look for, uh, as opposed to a regular research library where you have to have a specific call number or title of a book. We want to just kind of explore with you. And that's the most fun thing to do is just to start with a theme and, and see where it takes us and, and really um, kind of go through cross sections of the collection as, as we're exploring. That's cool. And, you know, especially when you look at, you know, what type can do, uh, especially in the sense that it can, it, it's kind of like a heritage to it. Uh, you know, like if you were trying, like you told me earlier, is that if you have a specific something in mind, uh, you know, the type of resources you have at your disposal is pretty incredible. And when you look at it, it can parallel, you know, those types of moments too, like outlining a specific type of font or, um, you know, maybe some of the contributing factors towards, uh, you know, maybe like you take, for instance, like uh, Coca-Cola sign, you know, that can speak specifically to a time period or simultaneously, mm-hmm. you know, typefaces are a big part of our everyday life. I don't think we would have the type of signage we have now, or at least the prominence of neon without having type be a particular importance, but more often than not, it lingers, you know, the influences do linger, you know, the choices that we make with the certain types uh, that we, that designers choose just demand a certain attention. Do you ever think that, you know, you can, you can see that neon kind of has an evolution specifically over the years, you know, mm-hmm. certain things get cold and hot. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it would be really cool to see some, I mean, there's, there are projects where people are, are mapping out different uh, uh, cities and, and what all the historical signs are in, in that location. Uh, but it would be interesting to be able to then cross divide that by by era by period and see how styles are changing uh because i'm yeah i'm sure that the the typefaces are now influencing uh neon making more than they used to back in the before the the age of the computer at least before the 70s or 80s most lettering was done by hand and was not influenced by type and now it's the other way around so if i was going to commercial art school in the 50s or 60s, I would learn hand lettering as a skill, as a basic fundamental. Um, and now you learn how to set type or how to you know, uh, choose fonts for, for a website as a basic fundamental. So, so type has kind of taken over those pre-made letter forms that I was talking about, have kind of taken over um, how people create um, typographic design. And I'm sure that's influenced Neon as well. Um, and that's not always a bad thing it means there's probably a little more variety because there's so many styles of typefaces whereas when you were learning lettering you probably started with uh, a few signature styles Uh, but then the drawback as i said before on the other hand is that because you're starting with typefaces you're working with something that was meant to be um, set on paper or on screen in a very specific way it's a system of pre-made letter forms whereas hand lettering, you can make it be whatever you want it to be. And so it's much more flexible uh, and it can fit the, the mode of the, of the moment. Uh, but it would be interesting to see like what, how, how, is, how has neon design changed uh, over time and, and where have those influences come? I'd love to see if somebody's 
done uh, history on that. I mean, if anybody, it would be uh, um, Deborah Jane Seltzer. Do you know who she is? Yeah, yeah. She's uh, one of my heroes, just going across country and, and, and taking pictures of every interesting sign that she sees. And I think she probably has one of the best um, databases of uh, historical signage and how they've changed over time. Absolutely. So to see how she could break that down to era and you know, how the styles changed. And I do think shouting out sign painters is important too. I think anybody listening to this is they're just as much as part of the sign culture as anyone else. Uh, you know, and when they did start, you know, the, even the thirties and forties, you have things like, uh, you know, Gothic fonts and, you know, preferred typefaces that are practical. Um, but you know, a lot of master sign painters on um, what colors go with what, and those diagrams are commonly mm -hmm. mistaken. There's kind of like a resurgence for a lot of these drawing letter forms, even within me. And you can look at all this and just kind of say, wouldn't it be right to keep going the same direction, which is, you know, more computerized graphics and stuff like that. But what we're seeing is that there's a core group of people that are almost outside of the, that kind of that direction. And I wouldn't be wrong as to say is that this particular niche, not limited to where it's at now, but we're sort of reviving those past glories that a lot of other, you know, industries can't really craft what they used to do. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, neon has remained, uh, unparalleled, but also probably is one of the most similarly same craft that's out there embracing the same way it was made with some minor improvements on the, you know, the technical side, whether it's the transformers and whatnot, but application wise, you know, there's still a lot more that can be done. So I think learning from these other art forms specifically from, you know, even the hand painting uh, people that you find, which would also incorporate neon oftentimes too could, uh, suggests, I think, sort of the human touch within mm -hmm. sort of all this technology. I think it's even like what we talked about too, is that, you know, we really, it's impossible to make these things on a production line, at least with the right. standards that we have now. And I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be like that, but reversing. Yeah, no, that's, that's what's amazing about Neon is it's one of those few crafts that really have not been taken over by, uh, by a mechanized uh, method. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I keep harping this idea of hand lettering because, uh, you know, it's, it's really perfect for this kind of craft is, is something that has uh, been drawn by hand and then is, is created by hand into this physical form. Yeah. Do you have any like uh, typefaces that you are favorites of yours? Just curious. <laughs> well, that's hard because, uh, I have, you know, being writing about uh, type all the time, it, it constantly changes. Um, one of the things that I do uh, when I'm not at the archive is a website called Fonts in Use. And uh, every day there's, there's new content there. It's basically an, a, an archive of, of typography indexed by what fonts were being used. And so every, every day I, I find a new one that I uh, really enjoy. But Right now, it's probably this project that we worked on with one of my favorite type designers, David Jonathan Ross, and it's called Lautsprecher, which in German means loudspeaker. Uh, and it was an advertising script in the 1930s that, that kind of disappeared after the war because it was made by a German company who, who was destroyed during World War II. And so it's one of these artifacts here at the archive we had a, a, a type specimen a piece of advertising from the foundry advertising this typeface and uh and then it was never made again and so it had this very short history and now through 
you know, reviving it in digital form, we can bring it back to life, which is very cool. So that's something we just announced recently on our website that, that we had this, this uh, specimen in our collection and, and David did this beautiful job of, of creating a digital font out of it. And actually, it would actually suit really me on cool. quite well, too. So people should look at it as a source of inspiration for anyone. So. Yeah, we have to drop a link in the show notes. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Get some... Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's it's a, a script that is is not connected. So you would be painting in those, uh, you know, those uh, separated letter forms, but it has uh, it's, it's mostly monolinear. Like there's not a lot of thicks and thins to it. So it would suit, uh, me on point well. Yeah. And I think for the most part, I mean, it's interesting to see what the restoration process looks like on the type side. I never thought about, you know, hmm. the conversion between something being kind of somewhat lost and, uh, forgotten and kind of the approximation of how you can bring that back. I mean, there's something really cool about uh, having that kind of staying power, if you will, like in this thing that happened to be around now can, I think neon has some abilities <laughs> for that too. You know, uh, certain signs, sometimes they go to the graveyard, but that's attractive for certain reasons. And then other times they have like a history to them and uh, there's like a Kickstarter and like someone raises money or like picks it up on a whim and then, you know, has some, you know, funding to, you know, bring it back to what it, what they, you know, saw it as in pictures and stuff like that. So, yeah. You know, archiving in general for Neon has, you know, has gone through some really, um, some big improvements, I think, especially when it comes towards kind of taking on collections, um, showcasing certain types of art. Uh, it hasn't really been as, as preserved as we'd like it to be, but, you know, that's a whole effort in of itself. You know, people are getting involved. There's, there's now nonprofits, there's museums. And so. Yeah, uh, some of my favorite talks at Neon Speaks were about, uh, that, that these different projects for restoration and it's amazing the the dedication that people have to to bring these things back to life whether they're the actual people doing the work or they're just advocating for um, getting the work done I was really impressed with that and they're interesting stories too like just what does it take to 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 take something that it's almost like an architectural uh restoration and, and bring it back to life and make it something that everybody can actually benefit from who lives in that place. I mean, I, I love that kind of, uh, it's almost like a public service really. Mm -hmm. well, Steven, uh, can you give people like an insight into maybe what's next for the archive? Anything you guys are working on that you want to, uh, share? Uh, yeah, well, so our, <laughs> the two big things that are happening here right now is that we're moving. So we have been, we were founded in 2015 and been in this space since then. Uh, but this space that we're in is actually uh, our founder's home. Uh, he uh, started the archive with his own collection. And um, once it got so large that it made more sense for him to move out and, and start a public institution that people could actually come and see it. That's what happened. So the collection took over the space. Um, but it has grown so much then. We're, we've grown over three times that original size. And now we have about 50,000 objects. Wow. And so just no more space here where we're at, which is essentially a live work kind of loft building. So we're moving down the street here in San Francisco, not too far away to a really you know, perfect space, historical uh, kind of warehouse building that'll be just the right size and character for us. Uh, but that means we're raising money. So that's kind of, that's kind of the big thing we're working on right now is to uh, get some support to help that move happen. And then hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be in a, 
really nice new space that will allow us to do larger events and, um, and bigger classes. We, we do this type design uh, course that's a full year type design class and, and lots of uh, workshops throughout the year that are open to the public. So uh, it'll be nice to be in a, in a new spot that's really custom built, like we're restoring the interior to really uh, work for us. So that's a pretty fun project. It sounds like a great transition too. I think just the history that you guys have and uh, we wish you all the best on that uh, new space. Uh, how can, yeah. you know, people want to support and uh, cause you know, everyone listening here, can they, is there like a page online they can go to, to, to contribute? Yeah. So uh, the best place to, to go is to letterformarchive.org and then the join uh, tab. That's where you can become a member. And if you specifically want to support the move, you can go to letterformarchive.org slash new home. Uh, and that will take you to a blog post about uh, our new space and, and uh, how, how you can support us there. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Stephen, for being on the show and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening.